thank you all for coming on a nice sunny day to hear people talk about the Northern Ireland economy. It's, uh, I thought we were going to have an empty room, but it must be the thrill of the yellow sticker. Um, I don't know. But anyway, um, I don't know. Anyway, okay, so let's see the technology. Okay, there, there we go. Okay, so um, this uh, paper or presentation is a summary uh, of a piece published in the Economic Observatory online with John Turner and David Jordan, so it's full of lots of data and stuff. So sticking to 20 minutes uh, will mean uh, if you want the complete view, read the original paper, because I have no intention of setting the land speed record for uh, discussing the empirics of the Northern Ireland economy, so be warned. Okay. So, um, again, as it says up there, uh, it's based on this paper. Um, again, I'm focusing very much on post-1998. Um, again, there's plenty of outlets that oh, have the end of my slides about pre-1998. Number of caveats. This is very much a helicopter view of the Northern Ireland economy, so I'm looking at, and, and as, uh, as with John and uh, David and myself, it's a helicopter view, so it's very much a view of the Northern Ireland economy as a whole. There are obviously sub-regional issues that are very real, but I've only got 20 minutes, so I can't go into the detail of every uh, facet of, say, the difference between Greater Belfast and the rest of Northern Ireland, which is a very real process, a very real problem. Uh, likewise, just, a, just smuggling in a piece of economic theory at the outset, uh, economic growth is an unbalanced phenomenon. It's not a balanced phenomenon. That is to say, uh, there are going to be winners and losers in the process of economic growth. Uh, and this, the key is not that you don't have winners and losers, it's uh, that the winners can compensate the losers. That's, that's the essence, cutting, cutting a, a spoiler's guide to economic thinking of the 1930s. Um, so the point is that that unbalanced process means that uh, we're going to focus very much in this paper, again, the helicopter view. And uh, another caveat is, of course, uh, <coughs> economists, uh, when they approach the issue about violence and peace in Northern Ireland, there are a number of approaches you can take. One is what's called a contingent valuation approach, where you try and put a, a value on peace and the value of life and limb. Uh, that's not what we're going to do in this paper. Okay, so those are some of the caveats. Uh, the first most obvious thing to note is that you know, peace in and of itself is a valuable thing. You know, even if there's no market for peace, it's not to say it has no value. You know, there are plenty of things in economics which have no market price, that doesn't mean they have no value, it just means a market doesn't exist. And of course, the value of peace and political stability, and you can see from the outlet, outset there, um, this is uh, the measure of deaths during the Troubles. Um, we would have similar diagrams if we used any other uh, measure of political stability, arrests, injuries, etc. All, all have this similar half. Uh, they all tell a very similar story. That is to say, as you can see from figure one, the Good Friday Agreement is associated with a lower level of violence than pre-1998, but of course by the 1990s violence was at a very much lower level than it was, say, during the early mid-1970s. That brings us on to this idea of what is the peace dividend. When economists use the term peace dividend, what the heck are they talking about? And that is to remind us that when we think about economics, 
we should be thinking about the composition of an economy as well as its level. Okay, you, we hear in the news things like GDP thrown out. That's like a, a measure of the level. But we should also be thinking about the composition of the economy. Um, and so what a peace dividend is, is the fact that by moving away from violence to peace, uh, we shift away from factors such as in the public sector, unproductive, you know, if valuable activities like security, to more valuable uh, uses of public money, such as improving infrastructure, be that human capital, physical capital, physical infrastructure. So that's just in the public sector. In the private sector, of course, uh, there's the, the moving away from uncertainty towards a settlement in which you have greater stability, hence greater investment, hence greater growth. So both the public and the private sector should, as a piece of economic theory, benefit from a shifting away from violence towards peace. Now, again, I, I've, I've just been proofreading uh, my forthcoming chapter in the Rightledge Handbook on Northern Ireland, and I, I do a survey of the economics of the Troubles. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to go through that uh, story. Suffice to say that when we look, depending on the methodology you use, depending on the data you use, the, the state of the art would be uh, a reduction of about 10%. Okay. Now, factoring all that in reminds us that one of the messages of this paper is obviously that, that what we're going to see is a very mixed picture. It's also the fact that what goes on in the Northern Ireland economy is not simply uh, reliant upon what happened in Northern Ireland. Okay? Uh, to paraphrase, I think it was Kipling, you know, you can't understand the Northern Ireland economy if you only understand the Northern Ireland economy. Uh, so uh, that's something that we're going to see very clearly. So if we look at Northern Ireland's GDP in 1998, it was about 20% lower than the UK average, but that was higher than Wales and northeast of England. Uh, and, you know, in terms of how Northern Ireland has actually grown since the Good Friday Agreement, in real terms, that is to say, adjusting for inflation, because a pound today is not a pound in 1998, okay? So you make the adjustment in real terms, the economy's grown by, as you can see up there, uh, around about 27% in real terms. Now, again, we go under the figure 21. Uh, that doesn't mean that Northern Ireland surged <coughs> into the lead. You know, as it says back there, uh, Northern Ireland consistently outperformed Wales in the northeast of England. Uh, but because of the relative positions and the relative uh, underperformance of the regional economies of the UK, the gap itself has remained uh, relatively stable. So in other words, uh, one of the ways to think about it is something that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, if there was an economic miracle uh, after 1998, we should have seen the angle of that green curve go far more like that, and it didn't, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So uh, that's, a, that's a first sort of cautionary point to make. Whoops. Okay. So why did the gap uh, not close? Why didn't we get this massive peace dividend in terms of this liftoff? Um, and I think that, in, in a word, 
if I could summarize it in a word, uh, it's essentially about productivity. The failure to transform productivity in Northern Ireland ha has really ensured that there's like a ceiling been put on the prosperity of Northern Ireland. Uh, and it's that failure about productivity. Uh, so Northern Ireland, the poorest productivity of any UK region, measured in terms of our work. Um, and um, again, if we go to the next graph, we can see the comparative story. Again, you can see that Scotland has done much better productivity-wise, and that Northern Ireland, the North East and Wales have sort of bumped around the middle, uh, uh, vying uh, for the, the, the relative wooden spoon. Um, so what are we to say about that? Well, uh, we can summarise that saying that if there is a weakness of the Northern Ireland performance since 1998, it's in terms of productivity, and that's a very serious weakness. If there is a success of the Northern Ireland economy since 1998, uh, it is the overall labour market. Okay, overall labour market. So as it says up there in the slide, uh, we can look at employment growth in relative terms. Northern Ireland has done rather well, as you can see up there. In terms of the unemployment rate, again, in the 1990s, Northern Ireland's unemployment rate was averaging 11%, okay? um, well above the UK average. But you know, the transformation that we have seen is unemployment's fallen consistently, um, and it's fallen below UK average often. Again, that is a success. Uh, but notice. Again, notice when you look carefully at the diagram, figure four. Look, look, at, look at figure four. So what you can see is with the green line being Northern Ireland, the grey line being the UK, you can see they're very similar shapes. You know, uh, if you share the same monetary and fiscal policy as the UK, which Northern Ireland obviously does, that's to be expected. Um, so the first thing to note is that we can see that this is not a Northern Ireland specific phenomenon, this decline of unemployment. Okay? So again, Something in question and answer, I think, always talk about is the extent to which what we observe in Northern Ireland is purely Northern Ireland. <laughs> but if you look closely, of course, is you do see the upturn in unemployment rates uh, after the Great Financial Crisis, 2007-8. That should remind us, of course, that the unemployment rate and things like that are not purely Northern Ireland-specific factors. Uh, they're due to a whole range of things. So when we go on to figure five, uh, again, another success story, uh, although it depends on your measurement, is in terms of equity. Okay. Uh, figure five shows, uh, in terms of median and low-paid workers, that the lowest-paid workers, the gap shrinks. Um, but for the median workers, for statistical reasons explained there in the slide, uh, it's within the confidence interval, so it's not such a clear-cut story. So, again, I'll go to figure five and then come back again. Uh, in figure five there, you can see these are the median earnings and the 10 percentile earnings. Again, that's the lowest earnings. So there's some convergence of the lowest earners relative to the UK. Uh, there is also some convergence of median earnings, but the median earnings, given the statistical issue, is not so clear cut. Again, <laughs> again, when we look at other measures, however, of the labour market, the story is more un uh, unsatisfactory. Uh, that is to say, 
you know, we look at inactivity. In other words, productivity measures how productive people are once they're in work. Activity measures are they in work. So we have an issue of people being not as productive as they should be once in work. We have also an issue of inactivity where not enough people are in work. Um, and then we put it, uh, another issue about equity where we don't perform well is in the area of disabled employment rates. That's another area. So again, good in some measures, mixed in other areas. Now, a recurrent and to an economist often very tedious argument that ter uh, debate that we've heard in the last 25 years uh, is a discussion about the relative size of the public sector and its impact on the economy. And this wonderful term rebalancing has been much talked about and written about, well, since at least the Treasury report 2011. Um, but as Esmond and myself have written elsewhere, to try and equate um, the relative or absolute size of the public sector uh, with the fate of the Northern Ireland economy, I think, uh, is a misdiagnosis. Uh, for this, I think we have to take a longer view statistically. Um, Northern Ireland has always had low productivity, okay, since, and indeed, even before there was Northern Ireland. If we look at the data back to the 1880s, we see low productivity. Um, so low productivity is a very, very long-standing problem I've mentioned. The public sector, on the other hand, uh, was very small for a very long time. So Northern Ireland had a very small public sector and very low productivity. It's not got a much bigger public sector and low productivity. So, you know, do the math. Um, if we look at back in 1960, public sector employment was only 22%. By 1970, it spikes up. 1987, it rises further to 42%. Again, we could talk a bit about the, the, the economic aspects of uh, of what happens during the Troubles. If, on the other hand, we look at figure six, figure six, we see that Northern Ireland obviously has, again, figure six, shared in a path that we observe in the rest of the United Kingdom. There is, however, a gap. Five minutes? Yeah. Uh, there is, however, a gap. Now, what does that suggest? Well, it, again, it says, by 1998, the public sector share falls 29%. Was down to 27%, but that's still higher than the UK share. In other words, the direction of travel uh, for Northern Ireland has been similar to the rest of the UK. The starting point, however, it, by starting point you mean 1970s, say, was higher. Um, again, so that's 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 sort of story about Figure Six. If, however, we think about how that transfers into thinking about public finance. Uh, again, this is the source of the, pro the, the issue about the size of the fiscal transfer. Uh, that the underlying weak economy of Northern Ireland means that revenue is not generated in Northern Ireland because, of course, what the fiscal transfer measures is the difference between the revenue raised in Northern Ireland and the public spending required in Northern Ireland. So if you have low productivity and an underlying weak economy, that, that reduces the tax revenue base. That means the size of the transfer has to be bigger. Moreover, <laughs> when we look at the, the uh, size of the fiscal deficit, okay, uh, we think about the size of the fiscal deficit, as it says up there, 
we see that it, it, it improves relative to the rest of the United Kingdom. Uh, and in many ways, <laughs> this reminds us that a lot of part, large part of the issue of the Northern Ireland economy is the fact that the UK economy, A, hasn't been that spectacular in terms of long-run economic growth, and B, has one of, if not the most even, uneven regional development in all of uh, the OECD, certainly of the major uh, G7 economies, it's the most um, unequal regional economy. And of course, just a point at the bottom about the overall budget. If you split the UK into statistical regions, uh, of the 12, 13 statistical regions, <laughs> only three, London, the South East, East of England, run a surplus. Everybody else runs a deficit of some kind. Uh, and again, if we think about the fiscal deficit as a percentage of public expenditure, again, in that case, figure seven, what is the story we're, we're saying? Uh, well, again, you can, see, you can see there that Northern Ireland's uh, pattern is not demonstrably different than the rest, increasing over time, uh, but certainly had a higher starting point. Rounding down with urban investment, again, a mixed picture. I think it's often not understood. That, of course, the obvious point is that violence discouraged the quantity of inward investment. <laughs> that's understood. Uh, the point that's not so understood is that violence also reduced the quality of inward investment. Okay? I say this as somebody who has written a number of academic papers in John DeLorean. Uh, <laughs> When one goes to the archive in London and Belfast, it's not simply a story about the quantity of inward investment. It's about the quality of inward investment that was hindered. Um, so, of course, that means, of course, once peace political stability returns, the quality of inward investment should go up, productivity should go up. Um, but again, if we look at the data, Northern Ireland is not really the outlier in terms of inward investment. Uh, you can see Northern Ireland there in the data. You can see really the outlier, if there is an outlier, is, is London. Okay. Uh, now, where the qualitative improvement in Northern Ireland is certainly showing up is not in a productivity miracle that hasn't happened. It's uh, a qualitative improvement in terms of the new industries that we've got, which tend to be higher income, uh, higher skill, higher productivity than the industries that are replacing. And this is where we can look and say about, you know, we look at the data there about financial insurance industries, ICT, the Game of Thrones effect. All of this is good. So again, uh, there's an uneven picture. Now, to the question, why has the peace dividend been relatively small or uneven? I can give you a short answer, which 20 minutes is nearly over, if not over already. So the short answer would be that... <laughs> In economics, when you have a crisis or a distortion like the Troubles, uh, even once the crisis ends, uh, the distortion don't necessarily end. Or if you want to be harsher about this, the scarring that might be created to an economy by something like the Troubles uh, isn't something that maybe goes away. The scars remain. Uh, there are longer, more technical answers which I can go into, but I don't want to do that. Uh, so what, what needs to change? Uh, just rounding up my final slide. First is, one of the things that needs to change is the search for silver bullets. For the last 25 years, I think, 
People in Northern Ireland have looked for silver bullets in the economy. Strange, they didn't look for silver bullets coming to the Good Friday Agreement. They realised that was going to be difficult. Uh, turning around the Northern Ireland economy is maybe as difficult. Um, the, first, the first thing is there's no silver bullets. Stop looking for them. They don't exist. The second is what economists call institutional geography, the type of thing Edmund was talking about, about incentives. Um, yes, when we, we haven't had enough of a functioning executive in the last 25 years, that's obvious. But even when we have had functioning executives, there have been issues where I'm afraid as an economist you have to say that there has been a failure to implement. The NHS uh, is one such case we could talk a bit about. Likewise, if we look in the case of Invest in I, uh, we've had two reviews in, in that period of devolution. Um, again, we could talk about both those reviews and what they show about bad governance, bad institutional design. Um, and last but not least, I always try and end with an optimistic uh, dismal enough, you know, so I'll try and end with a, a moderately more upbeat ending because you don't. Don't want you leaving the room totally depressed. Um, there's moves, in, there are slowly but surely uh, moves in the right direction. That is to say, North Ireland was very slow to do serious studies of issues like devolving tax. North Ireland was very slow to uh, look at value for money. But uh, I think with things like the Northern Ireland Fiscal Commission, I think, albeit a bit too late, uh, at least Northern Ireland has finally come to its senses in terms of thinking about value for money, uh, and that, I think, is to be applauded. So that's as near to an upbeat ending as I can give you, so I will stop there. And there's, oh, I'll stop there with my further readings, should you wish. Thank you very much.